Welcome everybody to the Can Mayonnaise Kill the Jedi podcast. I am your co-host Hannah. And I am your main host, the Artificial Dragon, and welcome back to the main formula of this podcast. Unfortunately, Kid will not be joining us today because he has a slight allergy to sand and everything related to desert planets, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) If that's the way I could have gotten out of this episode, I probably would have. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're talking about the planet no one likes. Yeah, but before we get into that, um, so once again with Patreon. Um, so for any of you that are interested in uh, supporting the channel, you could go to our Patreon with our lowest tier being $1 to our highest being $10. Uh, for those that want to contribute to the highest tier, you'll be able to have access to our Patreon artwork. Um, and for this month, we will be having Darth Lacris, the supreme... Uh, female waifu of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, the best artwork by far. Um, right behind the Tegruda and, and a couple of others. Um, but if you're not interested in fan service artwork, you could just donate to our lowest, which is $2 once again. Um, any tier that you donate to, you'll have instant access to the Discord server, all that fun stuff. And um, when you're in the Discord, you could just... Have a nice little chat with us. Do episode recommendations or, start or flame wars. Start flame wars. Yes, uh, I'm. I'm talking about a certain somebody after recording of his episode, <laughs> or just share general memes here and there. Um, but yeah, just having a fun time and having a nice little roasting fest. I, I swear, our Discord has turned most of our at this point with the amount of burns that has been going on there. Yep. But anyway, um, so the link to our Patreon is patreon.com slash canmail. Once again, it's patreon.com slash canmail. Um, always appreciate your, your support, and I hope you enjoy the content that we make. So, Hannah, um, with my little uh, mention in the beginning there, you probably know what today's episode is going to be about. I hate sand. <laughs> In this case, we will be talking about the planet that started it all, Tatooine. Yay. <laughs> the optimism is strong within this one. No one likes Tatooine. I'm with Kid on that one, though. Uh, no one likes Tatooine. <laughs> only uh, only criminals. The criminals, um, people that have the last name of Skywalker for some reason. <laughs> But yeah, um, so yeah, we will be doing a, a nice little new topic episode. In this case, it will be about individual planets. We won't be talking about a specific race, a specific character, that sort of thing. We will be talking about a planet. It's, you know, it's economy, it's population, it's wildlife, that sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds like a fun change of pace. Yeah, um... It'll add some some variety. It'll add some variety, yeah. Um, And yes, our first contender for the planet topic will be Tatooine, the one that started it all. And it's probably the most recognizable planet in all of Star Wars. It's... You tell someone, name a planet from Star Wars, everybody says fucking Tatooine. Tatooine, or that desert pole planet, whatever it's called. But yeah, um, so kind of a little background on why Tatooine is such an important fixture in Star Wars lore. Um, behind the scenes, like, George Lucas was inspired by the um, one of the first classical sci-fi operas, which is Dune. You know what Dune is, right? 
Heard of it, never, I don't know the premise behind it. All right, so basically it's a uh, novel. I can't remember the name of the uh, the offer for the life of me, but basically it takes place in a sci-fi universe where uh, all the civilizations in the galaxy um, depend on this resource called Spice, which basically allows the user to gain psychic powers so they could go into, you know, the space and everything, like navigators, um, just powering the space drives and everything. Okay. There's that famous saying where whoever controls the spice controls the universe. That's the famous saying with Dune. Okay. And the main setting behind Dune is, uh, let's see, uh, is the desert world of, where, why can't I find it for whatever reason? Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, Point is, difficulties. point is, uh, main setting of Dune is just this desert planet where spice, all spice originates. There's gigantic worms over there, that sort of thing. Okay. And that's the main inspiration for a lot of uh, sci-fis that we've come to know and love today. Because Dune, Star Wars uh, did a lot of kickstarting with space sci-fi, um, samurai, laser sword duels, that sort of thing. If Star Wars is the granddaddy of a lot of sci-fi that we know today, then Dune is the granddaddy of space operas. Okay. Think of it like that. Okay. But, uh, yeah, um, Tatooine is based off of that uh, desert planet, or at least has a direct inspiration from that planet. Yeah, makes sense. But on to the uh, in-universe stuff. Um, So Tatooine is... Kind of the most, I wouldn't say it's completely recognizable in lore. It's just this random backwater planet that people occasionally hear about. It's a dirt ball. Yeah, it's a dirt ball. It's, I think I figured out that Tatooine is basically the Wyoming of Star Wars. Yeah. One could barely consider Wyoming a state <laughs> in the same way Tatooine's a planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, so anyway, the basic gist out of the way, um, Tatooine is part of the Arcanus sector in the Outer Rim territories and is the first planet within the binary Tattoo star system. It has two suns, one called Tattoo 1 and Tattoo 2. I know, very original names. Very original. <laughs> and respectively, it has three moons named Gemerson, Gemersera, and Chenini. Okay. Yeah, I know it's a mouthful, and I just butchered those words. Probably, <laughs> um, whatever. Sci-fi made up bullshit. Whatever. Um, and Tatooine is thought to have been the oldest planet in known space. So it's like freaking old. Probably older than Coruscant, older than uh, Mandalore, that sort of thing. Damn. It is. Okay. It is old. Um, so, like with normal planets, uh, Tatooine is consisted of a of a molten core with a rocky mantle and silicate rock crust. It has a 23-hour cycle, as opposed to 24 hours for Earth and everything. So, just one hour short. Yeah, one hour short. Um, and its orbital, orbital period is 304 days, compared to Earth's 365 days. Wow. So, if you think about it... Uh, a year on tattooing is shorter than a year on Earth. Yeah, it's like cut off two months of the year. And yeah. Then you're, you're fine. Yeah, and uh, it's also smaller than Earth. At a, it's 
at around 10,465 kilometers across compared to Earth's 12,756 kilometers. Wow. So, yeah, um, it's kind of Earth-like, but it's very, very small. Which is ironic once we will get into its local wildlife and everything. Yeah. Um, and there are some settlers saying that one's eyes burn out faster by staring straight and hard at the sun-scorched flatlands than by looking directly at the two suns. Wow. It's just a saying. I'm not sure if that's, like, confirmed, but... If it is, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Who would want to live there? Well, plenty of people, apparently, because there's, like, a population of 200,000 on Tatooine. Fucking idiots. <laughs> And in the words of Luke Skywalker, if there is a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet that's furthest from it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of an a, uh, understatement because we have the unknown region worlds and everything, which are further, further away from the galactic core of the galaxy. Technically, they aren't canon, so... Yeah. Well, except for Shilla. It's except canon. for Shilla. Yeah. Um... And given that Tatooine is orbited by two suns, it is known to have double noons. Instead of just high noon, it's just double noons. Oh, right, right. Yeah. As of, yeah. Um, Tatooine itself shone so brightly by both stars that when people first came across Tatooine in the ancient past, they assumed that Tatooine was a star and not a planet. Hmm. So, yeah, this kind of explains how uh, it got abandoned and then rediscovered like multiple times. Yeah, makes um, sense. Due to the extreme conditions, only a relatively mild region of Tatooine's northern hemisphere is habitable, and less than 1% of a planet is covered in water. Well, no shit. Yeah, it's pretty obvious, um, but there is still water, there's still oases and everything, just very, very rare. Yeah, that's why there are fucking moisture farmers. Well, there is one interesting phenomenon, is that... Uh, there is this mysterious mist which rises from the ground where desert meets cliffs and mesas. Some theorize that it's probably the result of water suspended in the sandstone veins beneath the sand and a complex uh, chemical reaction made it to rise up mm -hmm. when the ground cooled and then fall underneath the bag of the ground when the double sunrise comes. Okay. So there is some moisture in the sand. Very little. Very little, but still pretty there. Um, notable geological features of Tatooine are the famous Dune Seas, which has a enormous sodium-rich desert, which spans a majority of Tatooine. Mm -hmm. um, the Mushroom Mesa, which is a vast formation of giant standing stones, and the Juneland Waste, which are the rocky regions of uh, Tatooine and everything. And, uh, I remember many a time just speeding across Tatooine and Swator. <laughs> Most boring fucking thing ever. <laughs> right next to what? Hoff and Ilum? Yes. <laughs> you have a particular hate towards wastelands, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, don't worry. It's, it's going to get a lot more interesting from here, though. Okay. So, um, while Tatooine is widely remembered as this insignificant rock for poor farmers and runaway criminals to hide out on... Um, in the ancient past, it was once a lush world that had large oceans and a world-spanning jungle. Hmm. There's like one uh, legend's depiction of his uh, ancient tattooing. I'm just going to put it in the chat real quickly. It just looks really, really gorgeous. Uh, 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's literally the blue planet of Star Wars back in the day. Okay, so it was once an Earth like Alderaan was. Yeah, it was. Um, and it didn't, its original inhabitants were this humanoid race called the Kamunga, and they were technologically advanced and even made spacefaring technology and colonized many other planets in their system. And yes, I'm going to put them in the chat for you. Um, you ever just this weird looking humanoid race? Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very strange. <laughs> but anyway, point is, Tatooine, gorgeous world, its inhabitants, technologically advanced, were able to spread to various parts of the galaxy and everything like that. And what the fuck happened? <laughs> we're about to get to that, actually. Um, and the Kamunga had this sense of adventure, and they weren't content with... Uh, colonizing the moons and local planets of their own star system. And they want to go into the galaxy beyond. But their older elders, who were more traditionalists, didn't think that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. But very, the uh, Kamanga just looked at their boomers and were like, okay, whatever, we're going out there. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, this activity drew the attention of a certain infinite empire. Oh, this was around the time the Ricotta were still around. Yep, the Ricotta just... So this is ancient. <laughs> this is like... Tw- be, okay, 27,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, I believe. Jesus Christ. Yeah, even before the Republic of the Jedi and everything. Like, before the ancient Sith Empire. Yep, before the Sith, before the Jedi. Fuck. <laughs> so yeah, this is like ancient. And the Ricardo just see this race just colonizing their own realms of space. And they're like, huh, where are these guys coming from? Ooh, we got a... That's free real estate right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, the, the Ricardo found out about Tatooine and they instantly invaded it. Enslaving the entirety of a Kamonga race and making them as one of their many slave races and just spreading them across the galaxy to power their ships and shit. Anyone who was not Ricotta was a slave. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, there are several missions you go involved with the Ricotta and they call you a slave. <laughs> so yeah, the, the Kamonga were incorporated into the Infinite Empire at around 25,793 years before the Battle of Yavin. Not really... Um, that special, but just to give you an idea, the Republic was created at 25,000 years. Okay. So, this was like 700 years before the Republic came into being and everything. Wow. Still, that's a long-ass time. That is a long-ass time ago. Um, however, fortunately for the Kamonga, the, their conquest of by the Ricotta would not last too long, because the Ricotta started to... Um, suffer slave revolts from across the galaxy and they started losing their connection to the force more and more. Mm-hmm. And and this gave the Kamanga the opportunity to rise up against their oppressors and finally kick them off of Tatooine. Like, fuck you, we're going to do our own way. We're no longer slaves to you. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. And the Ricotta, they wanted to take back Tatooine, but they didn't have the resources to commit to a full-scale invasion and everything. And they also had to worry about the millions upon millions of slaves that were revolting against them. Yeah. So they looked at this gorgeous world. And they thought to themselves, if we can't have this planet, then nobody will. And they orbitally bombarded the fuck out of Tatooine. 
So they Mandalore Tatooine. They Mandalore Tatooine, but to a much greater extent. Jesus. They bombarded it so hard, the oceans boiled and evaporated completely. Wow. And the entirety of the surface of Tatooine was turned to glass. Damn. Yeah, there was nothing surviving that orbital bombardment. No. And after everything was said and done, the, the uh, Ricotta were like, all right, bye. <laughs> bye. Fuck off. However, despite that immense destruction, there were a couple of Kamunga survivors that retreated into the numerous tunnel and cave systems underneath the surface of Tatooine. And just over millennia of just staying within these caves and just living their own lives, just living these subterranean lives, it's... We don't know uh, exactly the lifestyle of a Kamunga during this time, but they... Weren't exactly in the greatest spot in the world. Yeah. They went from this spacefaring race to gutter scum underneath the sands of Tatooine. Yep. And over the millennia, the, the glass of the surface of Tatooine slowly turned into sand. Yeah, it makes sense. And then after um, it was permanently transformed, the Kamanga emerged from the tunnels, also permanently changed just like their home planet. Isn't this where the Jawas and the, the uh, Tuscan Raiders come from? <laughs> so yeah, um, and uh, the races that emerged from the tunnel systems were the Garofas and the Jawas. Okay. The Garofas is the actual name of the uh, Tuscan Raiders. That's just the name the settlers gave them. Okay, that make that I never knew that. So something new. Yeah. So, um, kind of sad. Both uh, their own planet and the race themselves just changed forever. Yeah, very sad. Yeah. Um, and after this point, Tatooine would remain unknown for the next 20,000 years. Just the Jawas and the Tusken Raiders just doing their own thing on this planet, trying to figure out their own way in the cosmos. Well, I say cosmos, more like their own way on Tatooine. Yeah. Since they don't have spacefaring technology anymore. Wow. 20,000 years. Yep. Damn. That's, yeah, that's going to give a culture enough time to uh, cultivate and make their own coach, uh, reunif uh, remake their society from the ground up again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, over the next 20,000 years, um, Tatooine was just kind of this random planet that people would know about, but they don't really explore it. Like, there are multiple historical battles between pirates and ancient human civilizations that fought over the surface of Tatooine. And the destroyed ships would plummet down to its surface, and it would be absorbed within the sands of Tatooine um, forever sealed away. Mm-hmm. And most likely for the Jawas to go and scavenge because, you know, they're little fuggers. Yep. Um, we know that firsthand. <laughs> though at around 4,020 years before the Battle of Yavin, uh, Tatooine would get its first settlers who developed the first settlement of a world called Anchorhead. And then 2,000 years later, a Jedi Knight named Sedriana Diff, along with his uh, son Jay's Diff, settled on Anchorhead and would... Late and, you know, do their normal Jedi thing, just watching over the population. The dad is teaching his son the ways of the Force and everything. Mm -hmm. And eventually, Tatooine made a place within the Galactic Senate, with Cedria becoming its first representative. Okay, cool. 
So even though it's this insignificant rock in the middle of ba- buttfuck nowhere, it has extreme significance to the Jedi, apparently. I guess so. With its first representative literally being a Jedi Master. This fucking rock in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I'm a senator now. <laughs> fucking. Oh, uh, well. Though in its early days, even though its early days were kind of bright, um, tattooing would soon be abandoned by the Republic. The first of many times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they realize there's nothing on this fucking dirt ball. Yeah, they're just all like, oh, cool. This is a cool desert planet. Okay, bye. <laughs> Even during the Mandalorian Wars, the Mandalorians looked at this dust ball of a planet. They're like, like we're nope. not going to conquer that. <laughs> nope. Fuck off. They're just like on their internal crusade, orbitally bombarding the fuck out of planets. And they look at Tatooine and they're like, nope. <laughs> well, there, after the Mandalorian Wars, there were like Neo-Crusader survivors that went to Tatooine and just lived their lives without being disturbed and everything. Yeah. Good place to retire. Good. <laughs> or go into exile. Yeah, the first of many times with Obi Wan, Luke Skywalker, uh, a couple of other people I can't remember at the top of my head, but but yeah, yeah, that's I mean, usually it's what an happens. Insignificant dust ball. Yeah, no, no authorities is going to come out there to get you. No, they don't. They don't give a shit. No wonder. No wonder it's a hive of scum and villainy. Yep. Though, during the Jedi Civil War, which is right around the time uh, Revan and Malak were conquering the galaxy and everything. Okay. Um, I'm, okay, so you've played on Tatooine. Have you ever played any of those side stories where you encounter the Zerka Corporation or anything? Yes. Okay, so Zerka is like the Old Republic Trade Federation, basically. Oh, okay. They're like a mega powerful corporation that could privatize planets and everything. And they looked at Tatooine and they're like, ooh, profit. <laughs> because I believe in in like some initial scans, they sound, found some valuable material that they could harvest and everything. And they're like, ooh, that, this could be a great profit for us. And they decided to uh, send some mining equipment down there to mm-hmm. harvest the minerals. But then even though it looked promising off the surface... The minerals had this special magnetic property, which basically te- deteriorated the mineral, making it fool's gold. Oh, wow. Yeah, Zerko. So, no, no profit. <laughs> no profit, and they're not exactly getting their margins back. Plus, on top of being tacked, attacked by the sand people numerous times. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, they were all like, fuck this shit, abandon our mining equipment, give a fuck off of tattooing and everything. And then throughout the rest of its history, tattooing would follow a pattern of being abandoned, rediscovered, due to different parties having different interests with a planet like the Civ Empire, the Republic, the Zerga Corporation. I think the Republic rediscovered and abandoned tattooing a total of four times. Oh my god! <laughs> what the fuck? It's really that insignificant? No one cares? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. <laughs> no wonder Anakin was never found. Or Luke Skywalker was never found. <laughs> oh, Jesus man. fuck. Yeah. Although, um, even though it, technically the Republic was, uh, okay, Tatooine was technically part of a Republic, but, you know, the Republic it just doesn't keep track of it that often. So it's on they're the like, very, very, cares? very far end of the, out, of the Republic. Yeah. They, they have more important things to do, like, uh, taking a look at Odoran than some backwater planet. Yeah. But anyway, um, 
So there was a certain race, one of the longest lo longest living races that looked at tattooing and saw profit and opportunity. The huts. The huts. Yep. Of course. <laughs> and even to the point where there were two individual huts that uh, conquered tattooing for themselves, and they're kind of in a uh, gang war over this claim. Just it like was, on <laughs> Yeah. Um. It was. Uh, Two certain huts, Gardula the Hut and Jabba the Hut. Oh, so Jabba was in the middle of a gang war during yep. the first movie. Yep. And just for a little bit of context, Gardula was the original slave master of Shmi Skywalker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Gardula is like a the big, one of the big honchos on tattooing and everything. And look at the picture. Yeah. She's, uh... <laughs> Yeah, her uh, appearance in episode one, I believe, is a little bit strange. She's just basically a smaller job with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Why are boobs so prominent? <laughs> a female hut doesn't need titties. <laughs> you want some, daddy? <laughs> Army's not big enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were the one who looked it up, not me. You have nobody to blame but yourself. <laughs> they literally look like the downsized Java and increase his more prominent assets in other areas. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I lighted the fucking episode right here. Oh Gardula's hot titties. <laughs> Any, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's moving on uh, from the uh, assets and everything. Um, and, you know, the heights, okay, you want to calm down a little bit over here? I'm good. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, tattooing was kind of this magnet for new settlers that want to make their own lives in the galaxy. Um, there was like this particular, uh, so there were like numerous planets, but there was this particular planet of settlers that they originated from, uh, Bessela 5, and they went to tattooing. And for whatever reason... Uh, they were on this uh, freighter ship called the Danuer Queen, which crash-landed in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. And from that uh, ship it came Mos Eisley, which is the new capital of Tatooine, uh, defroning Anchorhead for being the capital of Tatooine and everything. Okay. Um, let's see. And then with, under the thumb of HUD cartels, Tatooine was... An established transfer point between Vitrellias and the Corellian run, basically making Tatooine the go-between or the spaceport for an important hyperspace route and everything. It's a space gas station. It's a space gas station. That's the easiest way of settling it, yeah. Um, Tatooine would later become famous for hosting pod races, which brought in millions from across the galaxy. Find something that they're good at. Yeah, um, as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Oh, yeah. And the Huts are masters of that. Ironically enough, while Tatooine might seem like a desolate wasteland where moisture farmers would work tirelessly to get 
two liters of water per day. Um, there is a, a large abundance of fauna and flora on the desert world. One of the most common is the womp rat. Like, you always hear, like, you damn womp rat, that sort of thing. Um, it, <laughs> between a lizard and a rat. Yeah, um, the womp rat is no rat. It is bigger than your average rat. Um, so, like, these things are, like, six to nine feet long. They are big boys. They're so pretty. Yeah, there's a, there's an entire pack swarming the spaceship. Yes. They're big. And actually kind of terrifying. Because while they are normally scavengers, they are, are opportunistic hunters. And will kill any animal they find. Um, sick old or generally weak and they travel in packs of up to 20 individuals and their bite is also pretty nasty they have like a vice grip similar to a crocodile's even if you kill the damn thing they just stay on you yeah just bam get it off of me get it off of me <laughs> Though, despite how deadly they can be, a grown human, um, to a normal human, most youths on Tatooine use them as target practice with their weapons. Wow. Yeah, Luke Skywalker was one of those people. Um, you remember that famous scene where they were talking about the exhaust port of the Death Star and the one pilot is all like, that's impossible even for a computer to land in an exhaust port two meters long and Luke Skywalker is like, Psh! I did that with Womp Rats back in my world. They're no longer than two meters. So, I guess you could say, thanks to the Womp Rats, he was able to save a galaxy. I guess so. <laughs> well, plot points. Plot points. And then, after the... <laughs> and then, after the Womp Rats, we're just getting started with the uh, fauna. A ridiculous fauna on uh, Tatooine. Um, there's the wolf equivalent, which are the Anuba. I just sent another picture if it uh, comes through. But think of like a uh, wolf that has a large underbite. Ew. No, you do not. Um, and they will uh, virtually, um, they travel in packs of around 10 to 12 individuals. And they can take down a much larger prey, like Banfas and that sort of thing. obviously. Yeah. They are fairly smart, and they have been known to wait alongside pod racing tracks to wait for an easy meal to come along, either through a prey animal becoming roadkill or an unlucky pilot that crash-landed. Yeah, that's gotta be one way to go out if you're a pod racer. Oh yeah, instead of dying. You're just all like, oh my god, I miraculously survived. Yes! Oh crap! Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, fortunately, these guys can be tameable. As bounty hunter Embo adopted an Anuba, he lovingly calls Marak. Oh, cool. Yeah, and... Yeah, just... Wolf dog uh, allegories for tattooing and everything. It looks a wolf. Mm -hmm. It's like a fucking mutant rat. <laughs> it's, in the rats. You know who uh, Embo is, right? Bounty hunter with a fancy hat and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Barak would uh, just go after his hat like a frisbee and bring it back to him. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then the next iconic, the, one of the most iconic races on Tatooine is the Banfa. You know, the big shaggy elephant-like animals. They're not elephants. They're, they have two horns. Like, they're a giant holy mammoth without the, without the trunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, they're the elephants of Tatooine. But yeah, they're, they're famous as being beasts of burden, and they're seen across multiple subspecies, which could be found across the galaxy. Like, I believe there's, like, a uh, force-using Banfa that's on Odran somewhere. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they are everywhere, but they come from Tatooine, mostly. A force-using Banfa? What? Yeah, it's called a blue Banfa, I believe. <laughs> I mean, for fucking force-sensitive crystals exist. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised. Just... Just yeah, Apparently your mind is being blown multiple times in this episode. <laughs> oh my god. Um and yeah, despite its shaggy coat, the Banfas can survive in almost any environment and they are they have been known to go for weeks without food or water. Wow, so it's like a mixture of an elephant and a camel. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the average size of a banfa is between 6 to 9 feet tall, but they're probably longer lengthwise. Mm -hmm. And they could weigh up to 8,000 pounds. Holy shit, that's one heavy bitch. That is one heavy bitch. And they could live up to around 80 to 100 years. That's a good pet. It is a very good pet, but sand people love these things. Yeah, I always, I always saw them running around tattooing. Yeah, and both male and females grow their ram-like horns and everything. And one of the easiest ways to identify their age is by counting each knob on their horn. Kind of like in the same way you would count rings on a tree and everything. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, I, I'm legitimately surprised of how much wildlife and how much detail they put into the fauna on tattooing. Makes sense because it's the first planet of Star Wars, but still surprising. Another behind-the-scenes thing I saw. You know how they started making Star Wars content for kids? Yeah. Uh, they... It was a way of teaching them, like, you know, the animals and stuff. Yep. And there was one segment about how the Tusken Raiders made the Bantha. Mm-hmm. It it's a cute little thing. It is cute, and... And it's a good way to get kids interested in Star Wars. Yeah, um, kind of a little grim dark part of the relationship between the Sand People and the Banfa. Um, oh, <laughs> I, do, I do cheer you go dark as shit. Um, so, okay, it's a little bit heartwarming, but it's still pretty sad. Um, so, the Sand People... Okay, so the relationship between the Banfa and a Sand person is begins at literally when they were born. Like, baby sand person, baby Banfa, they're childhood friends. Aww. They are, like, friends for legit life. Like, they take them everywhere, they feed them, they take care of them. They're, like, the closest of friends and everything. Same with baby and dog. Yeah. And whenever a sand person dies, the Banfa is so saddened and grief-struggling by this... They have refused to eat for years, and they always stay by the uh, graveside of their former friend. Aww. And they're just so overwhelmed by grief, they just go aimlessly into the dune seas until they either die of starvation or willingly walk off a cliff. Oh my god! Yeah, it is, a, it is sad. It is really sad. 
deserve it. <laughs> especially with, with when we build bombs like that. We don't deserve animals. No. And especially with the sand people, which everybody in the Star Wars uh, community sees as savages and everything. Oh, yeah. But that's just one heartwarming thing I love about the sand people and everything. So they're not brutal savages. No, they're not brutal savages. They're more understood. But we'll do a separate episode of the sand people because they're, oh my god, their culture is so intricate. I don't think I could fit it all in this episode. That would be interesting to touch on. That would be. Um, And... Just like your typical elephant, Banfas travel up in herds of around 25 individuals, led by a singular elder female, who is like the matriarch and everything. Yeah, just like elephants. Yeah. And now for elephants, they have trunks. For the Banfas, on the other hand, they have a prehensile tongue, which they use to, as a sort of hand, to pick up grass from the ground and eat it. Okay. Prehensile tongue, because <laughs> if you look at a banva, how the fuck is it going to eat? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Which I think was like the weirdest thing I ever saw about the banvas when I was doing research on it. There's like a... Pretty fucking weird. Yeah, apparently they breathe through their tongues too. Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, um, aside from being beasts of burden... Uh, Tatooine is also famous for its Banfa ribs. Probably tastes like cattle. Yeah, most likely. And also, you know, their, their milk, which is blue milk. It is, but, you know, it's Tatooine. You gotta eat what you can. Yeah, I guess so. And of course, Banfa is the origin of multiple curse words in Star Wars, like Banfa fodder and Banfa poodoo. I was about to say poodoo. Poodoo. <laughs> All right, we got through some of the more iconic races, uh, I say races, uh, species and animals on Tatooine. Now let's go into the more interesting ones. And the first interesting one I'm going to introduce is the Bone Gnaw. It's a, okay. it's a gigantic fuck-off bird, as you'll soon see in the uh, chat and everything. Um, so the Bone Gnaw is a large species of bird of prey that are native to the Junlin Waste. They are both admired and respected for their grace and beauty, though they have a fearsome reputation due to their speed and rock-crushing jaws. You could, uh, what the hell? Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Yeah, they have a wing... I don't want to see that running after you. No, you do not. I think they also are completely silent like owls. Oh, wow. Uh, that, you're signing your <laughs> On top of that, they have a wingspan of over 26 to 32 feet long. Holy shit. They are way bigger than California condors in context. Why, why would you <laughs> You have things that are going to fucking kill you if you get lost. Why would you live there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Tatooine is a straight up death planet. It's got everything. <laughs> Worse than Ryloth, yeah. At least in Ryloth, you could just border yourself up in a castle or something, but... Okay, Tatooine, yes, but there's just a lot more things that you have to worry about over there. Jesus! And as the name implies, bone nars, um, their main diet is basically eating the bone marrow out of their victims. Like, they'll straight up kill a victim devour all the meat and everything, but they'll particularly take the bones back to their nest and, you know, 
drink out the marrow and everything. Well, they got the fucking teeth to do it. Yep. Um, <clears throat> even though they are complete savages, um, the interesting thing is that the males of the of the species are completely solitary, and they'll just chase off anybody that goes into their territory. Um, female examples, on the other hand, love living in a community of fellow uh, female bone gnaws. They, like, live in a literal sisterhood and everything. How the hell do they breed, then? Huh? How the hell do they breed? <laughs> That's, we're about to get to that. Okay. So when um, a mating pair of male and both and female gnaw come and, you know, do their thing and they bond, um, the female leaves the its communal flock and starts its new life with its male companion and these and these birds mate for life wow just like penguins yep okay cool yeah they they are legitimately good but they're they have a society that's cool they have a society and they are actually pretty loyal to their partners and everything Fucking terrifying. Terrifying, but they are respected and feared by the inhabitants of Tatooine. Makes sense. Like, even the sand people look at the bone gnaws and see them as a symbol of bravery and respect. And even a lot of swoop by gangs on Tatooine look at the bone gnaw and paint decals designed after them on on their bikes. Some of the decals you've shown us just... From the Clone Wars? Yeah. Stuff. They're pretty cool. They are pretty cool, yeah. You never think that that would be a part of Star Wars, but you know what it is. It's, a, it's like one of those little things, like it's a background detail that you don't really pay attention to, but when you get into it and look at the background material, you appreciate it a lot more. Oh, yeah. It makes it more alive, so to speak. Yeah, it does. My favorite one is uh, <laughs> there's like a decal of a Nexu, and the Arabish following that is Bat Kitty. Fucking love that. So much personality. Okay, one's the one where they're kicking Newt Gunray's ass. Newt Gunray and Count Dooku is also pretty fun. That is pretty funny. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, the Bone Gnaws, even though they are ferocious birds of prey, you could actually easily... I wouldn't say it's easy, but if you take one of their children, they imprint on the first animal that they see. So they could be loyal companions if you raise them just right. So they're pretty easy to tame. Yeah, it's just the problem of getting into the parrot's nest first. Yeah, that sounds like a death wish. <laughs> yeah, just fucking get your head bitten off. I hope the pay is good at least. But yeah, bone nars are easily domesticated and they make great hunters and guard animals. Wouldn't that be fucking terrifying? You're just wandering into a crime lord's lair, and then you see this fucking gigantic bird of prey coming after you. I mean, good defense. Pretty, pretty intimidating defense, yeah. And they could fucking chomp through rocks, so no problem with that. No, nothing you want to fuck with. Nope. And then uh, the next iconic uh, animal from Tatooine is the dewback, which are like what... One of those uh, gigantic lizards that stormtroopers ride on the backs of. Mm-hmm. Much like the Banfas, they are good uh, beasts of burden. And they are native to mostly to the Dune Seas. And they are much more adapt to harsh climates and are one of the most respected and versatile animals on Tatooine. Like, you could literally use them as mounts. You could use them as pets. You could... I've seen them used as mounts. Yeah. 
you could use them as cattle. You could literally, you know, cut up their meat and use them as steak and everything. They're like one of the most versatile animals on in most of the Star Wars galaxy anyway. And while they are normally solitary animals, dewbacks can roam the landscape in groups of up to two or five, and they usually go in a single file line across the deserts. Well, it's just like these fucking dinosaur lizard things. Just... Yep, yep. And they, it kind of a, uh, a little bit gross, but a little bit heartwarming. Like, the reason why they're called dewbacks is I. Like, when they sleep, they get moisture absorbed into the backs of their skin. Mm-hmm. And whenever... Okay, the normal morning ritual for a group of dewbacks is to lick the moisture off of each other's backs. Mostly as a way of nourishment and for bonding. I mean, it's how they live on the planet, so yep. Sense. yep. And they mostly just forge around for everything like shrubs and they... Occasionally eat a uh, little fucking womp rat that comes across their path. Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, you could literally domesticate a uh, dewbag. It's a, a lot more easier if you grab one of their eggs and raise it from there. But, yeah. Like, they are so loyal that whenever it's the mating season, it's preferable that you let the dewbag out so it could go, you know, do its business and everything. And they'll just come straight back. They're that loyal. Wow. Never thought an animal would do that. Yeah, just, oh, you want to have sex? Go for it. As Make sure to wear protection, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of, just a nice little pattern I'm noticing with uh, tattooing animals. A lot of them are, des- <laughs> a lot of them could fucking kill you, but they're easily domesticated. Yeah, as could happen on many, like, I've seen people domesticate falcons. Yeah, that is true. Like, uh, the Mo- I wouldn't say Mongols, but... Like, uh, Mongolia and everything. Yep. You have to take an egg, but you're gonna yep. die taking one of these eggs. <laughs> the fucking bone gnaws Except just... maybe the do-bags. Yeah, the do-bags, they're, they're just chill. They're just there. <laughs> and next is a much more straightforward example, the Eopies. Who are like, uh, basically those, uh, weird camel-looking things with, uh, elephant trunks and everything. Yeah, it's sending, um... I've seen, like, a bit of the one Obi-Wan rides in Kenobi. Yeah. But I'm still having... I still have yet to watch Kenobi. That is fair, that is fair. Um, but yeah, the EOPs are... Have a nearly hairless skin. They have a small, uh, trunk-like snout for, you know, searching for food and everything. It's ugly, but it's cute. <laughs> it is. It's like... It's uglyly adorable. Yes. <laughs> it's so ugly, but it's so cute. Yeah, um, and you know how, like, uh, there are some animals that, okay, so for pigs, they need the, to just roam around the mud because it's natural sunscreen and everything. EOP doesn't need to roam in any mud. It's, its skin is natural sunscreen. It just deflects sunlight off of its body. That's cool. And it's always cool inside and everything. Cool. Yeah. Cool. They are... Uh, I know I said this multiple times. They are a great beast of burden because they could lift a shit ton of cargo and everything. I think you see that in uh, episode one. Yeah, I think there are like EOPs that literally chug around parts of pod race parts and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are impressive. And 
Well, they... <laughs> they are mules, but they have the uh, downside of being stubborn and grumpy animals. So they're mules and camels. Yeah. Like, there's literally a deleted scene where an E.O.P. farts in front of Jar Jar Binks. He's like, E.B.O. <laughs> I mean, I would have preferred another Jar Jar gag, but I don't love the Phantom Wooden. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. Just... Uh, P.U.S.A. <laughs> and the E.O.P. are so impressive, they are, like, imported from across the galaxy. Mostly on other desert worlds, because that's their preferred environment and everything. But, like, it's just impressive how... It almost seems like the most common commodity on tattooing, aside from slaves and spices, they're animals. Yep. And then next is Veronto. And it's also a kind of very similar, easy to think about. Think of it as, like, a gigantic brontosaurus-like creature. If I could pull it in. Uh, there it goes. Um, so you have a... Oh, wow. Yeah, they are big boys. Look at the jaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the is commonly used as a beast of burden by the Jawas. Um, like, they are like many other beasts of burden on Tatooine. They're known for their loyalty and reliability. Though they are easily disturbed by noisy vehicles like speeders and everything. So... Don't expect them to be reliable in urban environments. Oh, yeah. And they're a nice little natural protection against sand people who are like, Oh, fuck, that thing's huge. Don't want to fuck with those guys. They could also be eaten. They could also be eaten, yes. Um, One of the main things you get you can get at a Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a Ronto Rap. God damn, that makes me want to go to Galaxy's Edge so much right now. One day. One day. Maybe we'll do it as like a uh, vlog episode or something. That would be fun. That would be very fun. Um, but <laughs> this one cracks me up a lot. So when it's mating season, the female Rontos would, ex would exude this very strong musky odor to attract mates and everything like hey hey everybody i'm high i'm horny come get me <laughs> but like uh interestingly enough this musky smell smells very similar to rodians and it's advised for all rodians on tattooing to be off world when it's mating season what the hell and there's an unfortunate story that I remember at the top of my head where Greedo was on World. And, you know, he encountered a horny Ronto. Oh, God. And he was like, ah, crap, get off of me. Of course, this was before he got shot. Yep. Hey, man, I'd much rather take a shot from Han Solo than get crushed to death by a horny animal. <laughs> but anyway, um, so moving on, we also have... Uh, yeah, there's a shit ton of, uh, like, I'm barely scratching the surface with this episode. There is a lot more. I'm just picking the ones that are the most interesting for me. Um, there's the Mastiffs, which are these reptilian dog-looking things. They're native to both Tatooine and the nearby planet of Geonosis. That's a crocodile dog. Crocodile dog, yeah. They are, like, loyal companions to the Sand People, too. They're, like... As I said, dog allegory on Tatooine. Um, and then I think this next one will be very familiar for you, Hannah. Um, especially with a Sith warrior storyline. The Sand Devil. Demon, sorry. Oh, yes. I hate these
<laughs> yeah, Visayan... Spider crabs! They're spider crabs. And Visayan demon is a species of semi-sentient insectoid, which is feared by all life on Tatooine. Like, these are one of the few fuckers that could actually go up to a crit dragon and win. Fuck that. Yeah. They are known to glide through the sands as if it's the ocean itself. Only fucking Jedi and Sith are brave enough to face this fucking thing. Yeah, and according to the Tusken Raiders, it's believed that the sand demon uh, devoured their victim's lifespan to grow stronger. Fuck you. Yeah. Interestingly enough, they look very similar to the lilacs from Ryloth. They do. Yeah. Kind of a uh, interesting connection there. I want. I kind of wonder if a ricotta, like... Thought it was it would have been a good idea to export those two species in between worlds. They're the Ricotta. They're fucking sick bastards. Why not? They are sick bastards. And then next we have the uh, Cliff Bear, uh, Cliff Borer Worm. Giant worm. It's a giant worm. They're known as parasitic arthropods that come that are known across the galaxy, but they're mostly native to Tatooine. Um, the worm can grow up to 9 to 13 feet in length, and they mostly feed on moss and lichen, and they use their twin legs up the front for locomotion. However, they could be used as dangerous weapons during mating seasons to fight off other males and everything. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, it's theorized by xenobiologists that the cliff borer worms never stop growing and cannot die from old age. And they propose that in a, uh, Preferred environment, like, say, a secluded desert planet of a mill, buttfuck nowhere, they could potentially grow up to 65 to 99 feet in length. Fuck that. They're like the fucking grubboids from Tremors. No, thank you. <laughs> but on the bright side, their hide is a particularly popular material for making boots. Oh, so it's like leather. Yeah, or like rattlesnake skin or something. Mm -hmm. um, there have been efforts to domesticate the worm, so, you know, be, they could get more rattlesnake boots and everything. Though mm -hmm. so it is extremely difficult to tame them because they love burying themselves in the sand more often than not. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but there are some interesting examples of worms becoming intelligent, as is the case with his one character, Loji Nanila. Um... God damn it. Um, he's like one of those background characters that you see in Return of the Jedi at Jabba's Palace and everything. Um, and this, and Noji Lia works as a uh, assistant accountant under the rule of Jabba. What the fuck? Just this random intelligent worm. I'm your accountant, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think this is like the most times I've mind fucked you in this episode in this series. It's a lot weirder than I fucking thought. Oh, it's about to get weirder. Oh god. Next we have the uh, sand swimmer. It's basically a gigantic uh where is it? A gigantic spider-like creature. Fuck you. Yeah, it, oh, <laughs> it literally swims through the sand like it's the fucking ocean. And when they come across the victim, they pounce and they drink all of the fluids out of their victim and then they go on their merry way. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, legit. 
It's like with the super weapons episode. How is there even a galaxy after this? More accurately, how are there even people after this? How are there even people? How is this planet even fucking livable? <laughs> with all the fucking predators out here. Yeah. People still try to live there. God. What the fuck? God damn, people from Tatooine are hardcore sons of bitches. Fucking guess so. Luke Skywalker looks at this gigantic six, gigantic rat the size of a dog, and he's like, "I'm gonna shoot it." <laughs> and now we come to the uh, the star of the show, the largest animal on all of Tatooine, the Crit Dragon. Giant lizard with the dragon's head. Yeah. The Crit Dragon is one of the most famous and the largest predator on Tatooine. They could grow up in, to an average length of 147 feet long. Yeah, they're pretty big fuckers. Yep. Across one of their skeletons, it's huge. Yep. Especially that skeleton in uh, New Hope. I, that's so iconic. Mm -hmm. Um, They could easily live up to 100 years and they never weaken from age. Basically like dragons. Like, the older they get, the more powerful they become. Damn. Fortunately, they're not the, the brightest bunch. Um, like, for example, um, even though they are a very fearsome adversary, they... One of their main difference, uh, weaknesses is not being able to tell the difference between two-dimension and three-dimensional shapes. Like, they often attack somebody's shadow more often than not. Okay. And they also can be lured out through their favorite prey, which is the Banfa. And there's a specific point on their forehead that's with a well-placed laser shot. They go through there, instantly kills their brain instantly. But despite that, I don't think any <laughs> they are still feared. And I don't think anybody's going to be able to kill a crit dragon that easily. No, you gotta be a good shot. Yeah, and... For a sand person, it is basically a rite of passage to fight a crit dragon and live. And retrieve their uh, crit dragon pearl. Those can, as we mentioned in the lightsaber episode, they can be used as lightsaber. Yep, they definitely can be used as a lightsaber crystal. Um, and aside from tattooing, the entirety of the galaxy respects the crit dragon. Even the Jedi Order named one of their lightsaber forms after it. Which is Form 5, Dejemzo, and Shien. Which is the form that uh, Anakin and Plo Koon uses. Nice. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, of course, there's the famous Sith Lord, Darth Krait. He comes yeah. from Tatooine. Of course. Yeah. Um, you think of crit dragons are impressive? We're about to get even deeper. Because there are multiple species of crit dragons. Oh. Well, okay, that's kind of a lie. There's two species of crit okay. dragons. <laughs> so the most common one is the canyon crit dragon. They live in caves and tunnels of Tatooine's deserts. They're like the little diminutive guys. Mm -hmm. um, and the second and most rare species is the greater crit dragon. And these boys are big. They are so big. Give me a minute. Just sending you two pictures right there. Like... That's one dwarfing a canyon crit dragon in the second image. Wow. The big 
It is so cool. It is so awesome. I would love to use it as a uh, boss character in my Star Wars campaign one of these days. Imagine having one of those as a mount. Yep. That's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, like, they literally can reach Godzilla-sized proportions. Like, it says in the lore that they are... They could, they could reach lengths of 328 feet and bigger. Holy shit! <laughs> and they, as you see in the image, they possess 10 legs to support their massive chunk of a body. They are pretty chunky. They are pretty chunky, and they are able to swim through the dunes of Tatooine. Wow. And on top of that, they're one of the few creatures that actually can eat a Sarlacc. Wow. They treat it as a light snack. What the fuck? <laughs> How does that work? Like, there's an episode in The Mandalorian where, uh, where, uh, they go to this, uh, crit dragon's cave because it's fucking up shit for the settlers and everything. And the Mandalorians are like, that used to be the place for the Sarlacc pit. And one of the characters is like, that's impossible. A Sarlacc pit doesn't move. And the Mandalorian is like, that's because the dragon ate it. Yeah, don't, you don't fuck with these. No, they are like the closest allegory for actual dragons of the Star Wars universe. Basically. They don't breathe fire, unfortunately. They breathe acid breath, though. It would be awesome if they breathe, if they breathe fire. Yeah. And there's also some studies that say that the, uh, that the Krid dragon is a descendant of the more elusive and rare space dragon. Space dragon? Well, more specifically star dragons, but yes. It's a space opera. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there are actual dragons in Star Wars, aside from the Crypt Dragon. I know that there's one on Corellia. Yep. Oh yeah, on Sereno too. Yes. Yeah. Where a fucking Dooku commands it to destroy his family and everything. I would love to see an artistic depiction of whatever the fuck that thing is called. Oh yeah, that would be so fucking cool. Yeah. And then I'll go through a couple of other animals because I think they're neat little additions. Um, where the fuck did I go? Uh, there's the, uh, oh, there we go. Um, there's the Irusi, who are basically like reptile vultures. They look, they're like an important part of the Tatooinean ecosystem. Weird fucking looking lizard birds. Yeah. Like I said, they're basically the vultures of Tatooine to the point where all the skeletons that you see across Tatooine, those were perpetrated by those guys and everything. They gorge themselves to the point they can't even fly away from anybody. <laughs> and they yeah. <laughs> and like most birds with crocodiles, they have a uh, symbiotic relationship with a sarlacc pit where they just clean out its mouth and everything. Just gotta have that kind of thing. So yep. It just... Yeah. And don't worry, there are actual rats in Star Wars. There's the uh, Scurrier, who are like, I think the closest that you'll get to actual rats, aside from the Womp Rat, which are like big, but these guys are like a foot. These are, like, these are just bigger versions of kangaroo rats. Yeah, essentially. They have like little horns and everything too. The kangaroo rats are cuter though. They are cute. But, uh, let me see. Um, 
Yeah. And then the glomps. A fish horse. <laughs> a fish horse. <laughs> Melt the head of a fish and put the legs like a horse and hooves. <laughs> the reason why they're called the glomps is because they make this unique sound when they're eating. Just glomp, glomp, glomp. Fish horse. A fish horse. What the shit? <laughs> it's going to get uh, even weirder, or cuter, however you look at it. The jackrabs. They're basically tattooing jackrabbits. They're rabbits yeah. and lizards on crap. <laughs> They're so emaciated. <laughs> and then uh, last one for the animal side is the trochity. They're basically little insect uh, little guys. Little guys. They're kind of adorable. Um, They're like very shy, but they're also kind of intelligent little fly creatures. Hey, those don't look so bad. Yeah, they're kind of adorable. Um, <laughs> They're very fuzzy. There's like a comic where Padme is just chewing on Tatooine, and these little insects try to uh, convey messages to her because they're like hey we're kind of thirsty could you help us out and she helps them out and everything oh that's sweet it is very sweet that made the disney princess confirm <laughs> i i think that should have been obvious from the very start <laughs> okay so that's it for the animals and surprisingly for a planet as barren as tatooine it does have flora on it wow and the f- cactus. a couple of cacti here and there the first, the first image I'm showing you is the black melons. Think of them as basically the coconuts of Tatooine. Okay. Like uh, sand people would come across them. It's like weird-ass tired. Yeah. Um, it has milk inside it, which tastes terrible, but it's very nutritious. Hey. And then uh, the neck. There's, also, there's like a bunch of melons and everything. Um... Well, okay, I'm not going to go into Gardula's melons, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, please, let's not talk about that. Then the next uh, melon I'm going to show you is the Hablagarm, which is a uh, little fruit that grows within the Junlin Waste, I believe. And it's basically a commodity for both the Jawas and the Sand people. Like, it's nutritious for them, but it's very bitter tasting and hard to digest for humans. And it, interestingly enough, the hubagurb in the Jawese language is translated to the staff of life. Wow. <laughs> and, okay, so there's also uh, wood on Tatooine. You remember that little trinket that Anakin gives to Padme? That's actually made from a material called, uh, where the fuck was it? Uh, Japer ivory wood. I thought it was just like a piece of stone. No, it was a piece of wood. Okay. Native to Tatooine. That's cool. And yeah, it was, trees exist on Tatooine, but they're extremely rare. (laughs) And the trees on Tatooine just look, they just look decrepit. They're twisted looking, but they they do exist on Tatooine. They're just extremely rare. Yep. But it's like 
all the wildlife and the flora is just an example of Tatooine's former glory. And even then, it could still survive the hardest shit that was thrown at it and come back on top. Just barely. Just barely. Yeah, this is just scratching the surface on the floor and fauna, but I thought these ones were pretty interesting mm -hmm. to share. But uh, that is Tatooine. What do you think, Anna? I learned a lot more than I expected. <laughs> I did not expect this much from fucking Tatooine. Yeah, if you think Tatooine, the literal dust ball of Star Wars, is interesting, think of the other planets out in the galaxy. <laughs> It does have a cool shit. The fucking greater crit dragon, the fucking Godzilla-sized dragons. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that is pretty badass. <laughs> I want one. I know you want one. It's my dream to get a Godzilla dragon. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that's our episode of Can Mayonnaise Kill a Jedi? Or in this case, how many times can I blow Hannah's mind? Or how many times can I laugh at fucking <laughs> 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 Oh, man. Um... Kind of debating. Do you think we should tell him, Hannah? Up to you. Nah, I'm going to keep it secret. Okay. So we're going to, we have a very special next episode for you guys, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So you're just going to have to wait. Ha ha. It's going to be a good episode. Yeah, anyway. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the uh, new topic that we dived into. Tatooine, it's a dust ball. I know everybody's tired of tattooing and everything, but I think it's pretty cool that it has so much wildlife on it. Like the culture. We'll, we'll probably go into the Jawas and the Sand People in their own episode, but I think it was just interesting to dive into the wildlife. Gone on long enough. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you learned, have a new appreciation for tattooing. I hope you're having a wonderful day and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Make sure to uh, adopt your orphan banfoot today, otherwise, it'll go off a cliff. Bye.